before we begin our study tonight, I want to ask you to pray with me. Baruch Atah Adonai, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. I want to name three problems. Infertility, problem pregnancy, sibling rivalry. These are three of the problems that Rebecca and Isaac faced that we read about in this week's Torah portion. Because of the faith and the trust that they have in God, they learn to see their problems differently than many people do. Many people face problems and they think, life has no meaning, I give up. But they found a closer connection with God throughout these things and they discovered God was at work even in the middle of the problems and through the problems. And the fact is they could have never gotten into the future that God had in mind, not only for them, but for the whole world, unless they were willing to go through these problems together and with the Lord. The Lord shared with them what I'm calling priceless secrets. Say that with me, priceless secrets. And they made all the difference in their lives and in their situations. These priceless secrets are things that nobody could know without God's help. And when you learn a priceless secret, when God shows you a priceless secret, when he shares with you something that you had no way of knowing on your own, you know what? It changes everything. So let me give you two of my favorite scriptures which speak about priceless secrets. One is from the prophets, one is from the Psalms, and then we'll look at the Torah portion, we'll see how they connect. The first one is Jeremiah 33, verse three. That is so easy to remember, 33, three. So it's three threes, you just have to remember which is the breaking point. Chapter 33, verse three. And this is the word, call to me and I will answer you. And I will show you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. I love that. God says, when you call to me, I will answer you. And I'll show you great things. How many could use some great help from the Lord? I know I can. And unsearchable, you know what that means? Unsearchable means that even if you search for it, you can't find it. Have you ever felt your keys are unsearchable? Yeah, but that's nothing compared. Losing keys is nothing compared to a truly unsearchable thing. Unsearchable things you don't know. I like this translation. Call to me and I'll answer you. I'll tell you things that are hidden and inaccessible. That word translated uh, unsearchable means it's, it's closed in, it's enclosed, it's hidden completely. You can't get in there unless God opens it up to you. One year, Sandy and I moved from one house to another and all of our business records and uh, all of our stuff was packed up and, and then we moved and we were unpacking and there were critical papers we could not find. And we searched Have you ever searched so hard that you knew you'd searched everywhere? And and have you ever gotten to that point where you said, well, Lord, it feels like you're hiding it from me. I've had that 
That was one of those moments. And so in desperation, we were praying and we said, Lord, unless you show us where it is, we'll never find it. He didn't show us. But what was interesting is someone who worked for us who didn't know what was going on had a dream that night. Hadn't been to our house. Had a dream, and in the dream, the Lord showed her where it was in our house. And so the next morning she wakes up and she says, I had a dream. Are you missing something? And we said, oh, we are so frustrated. And she said, I know where it is. Can I come over? So she comes over and she walks into the basement that she, in the house she'd never set foot in. And she says, yeah, this is the room. And she walks directly over into a corner. She goes to a shelf that she saw in the dream. She opens up a box that she saw in the dream. She looks through the box and she says, here it is. And I can tell you the truth, it was hidden to us. But the Lord wanted us to have it, and he wanted us to have it dramatically. I will never forget that. That was not in my notes, but as soon as I started talking about unsearchable, the Holy Spirit said, you remember that thing? Yes, sir. Psalm 25, one of my favorite scriptures starting in verse 12, going to verse 15. Incidentally, these are all on Facebook, and you can find them at our uh, podcast Facebook page, Messianic Jewish Teachings, or our congregational Facebook page, Beth Israel, Messianic Synagogue. Now we've got a shortcut at Beth Israel now. If you put that in Facebook for some reason, it'll take you right to the page, or even my personal one, David Levine. Psalm 25, verse 12, let me use this translation. Who are the people who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the, way, the ways they should choose. His soul will abide in prosperity, and his seed, his descendants, will inherit the earth. The secrets, the secrets of the Lord are for those who fear him. He will make them know his covenant. My eyes are continually toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the snare. This is such a great scripture. The secrets of the Lord are for those who fear him. He'll make them know his covenant. One translation puts verse 14 this way. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He shares his secrets. He'll tell you the secret things that he knows. Now, with this as background, let's take a look at the Torah portion this week, Parshat Toldot, and we'll read about these three problems that I mentioned at the beginning in God's priceless secrets. So we'll start in Genesis 25, 21, where we read about problem number one, infertility. It says, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. And you know what that means? She couldn't conceive. She was infertile. They were trying to have a baby together. They were doing their part. But 
she couldn't get pregnant. So what does Isaac do? He prays to the Lord. That's a very important thing to do. Many times we worry. Many times we make plans. What are we going to do? But you know what? Isaac did one of those most important things. He prayed to the Lord. And it says, and the Lord answered him. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Isn't that interesting? Now, it was perfectly obvious to everyone that Rebekah couldn't get pregnant because she wasn't pregnant. And in, in that era, to not be able to conceive was uh, an embarrassment. Well, we read about the difference. Isaac prayed, the Lord answered, and you know what? Sometimes when we pray, we're casting all of our worries and all of our anxieties on the Lord. And then we can, we can make our petitions known to the Lord with thanksgiving. When you're not worried, you can be thankful. It's hard to be thankful and worried and anxious at the same time. Let your gratitude get the last word in. So the Lord answers, and this was a priceless secret for Isaac and Rebekah. She conceived because God answered Isaac's prayer. So problem number one is solved. She's no longer infertile. She's no longer barren. Isn't that great? Sometimes we think, okay, if I could just have this problem solved, everything would be terrific. Now we move to problem number two. Problem number two is it's a problem pregnancy. Outwardly, it was a difficult pregnancy, and Rebecca thought she was going to die. Let's read verses 22 and 23. Genesis chapter 25, starting in verse 22. Now she's pregnant. She conceived. The children fought with each other inside her so much that she said, if it's going to be like this, why go on living? And so she went to inquire of the Lord, who answered her. And this is what he said. You know, whenever you have problems like this, don't you pray, God, take me out of the pain, you know, get me out of this problem? What's going on? I don't understand. You don't really want an answer. You want a solution. But she's saying, Lord, what is this? I feel, I'm ready to give up. I wanted to be pregnant. Now I'm pregnant. This is killing me. What is going on? And here's what the Lord says. There are two nations in your womb. Who knew there's room in a womb for two whole nations? From birth, they will be two rival peoples. One of these peoples will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. So I'm sure as a mom, she's thinking, you know, this is hard. I wanted to be pregnant. Now I am pregnant. And what is going on here? And the Lord says, I'll tell you what's going on. You're bringing forth two different nations. That's what's going on. And they're rival nations. And they're already fighting each other. That's bad news. But it's a priceless secret. Because now she knows she's not medically sick. This is very important. 
She has all the symptoms of a difficult pregnancy, but it's not a difficult pregnancy in a classic sense. It's a difficult situation because God is bringing forth two nations that are going to be at odds with each other, but they have to learn how ultimately to honor God anyway. It won't be easy. And the Lord gives another priceless secret to her. The older will serve the younger. Aha. Now once you realize this is, this is from the Lord, this detail is in here, so that you and I, when we're reading the story, we'll pay attention to that. Don't ignore that, or you'll miss so much of what happens next. <clears throat> so physically it was terrible. Terribly painful to carry these twins. And she sought the Lord and she got an answer. Two nations, say that with me, two nations, two rival peoples, let's say that together, two rival peoples. And then the third secret, the older will serve the younger. Say that together. The older will serve the younger. Now, without this information, Rebecca couldn't make sense of her pregnancy. Do you see that? She couldn't make sense of her children. She couldn't make sense of her family, her situation. She couldn't make sense of the present, and she couldn't make sense of the future. And we can never understand the whole story about Esau and Jacob without this information. Okay, problem number three. It's not just a problem pregnancy. Sibling rivalry and conflict. <clears throat> How many moms have ever said to your kids, can't you just get along? Even if you have just one of them. Can't you just get along? Well, the twins grow up. They're clearly different from each other. Genesis 25 Starting in verse 27, the boys grew. Esau became a skillful hunter and outdoorsman, while Jacob was a quiet man who stayed in the tents. And Isaac favored Esau because he had a taste for game, and Rebekah favored Jacob. So Esau is a hunter, he's an outdoorsman, he's like a woodsy guy, he likes to go shoot things kill them, not with a gun. Uh, if you had an image, oh, you know, say so he's a good rifleman, wrong. No guns at that time. He's using a bow and arrow. Isaac is quiet. He's a homebody, maybe a bookworm. Maybe he's got thick glasses, I don't know. Um, I mean, this, this is uh, Jacob, rather. Dad shows favor to one son, and mom shows favor to the other son. But aren't you supposed to not have favorites? Well, sometimes you do. You see, God says, I loved, I loved Jacob. Not because of what he did, but I decided to love him because of what I was going to do on the face of the earth, and I needed him. And Esau I didn't love. Tough words, right? 
And if you want, you know, happy grandfathers in the sky, you know, with big white puffy cloud beards for a God, you know, this is not the God of Israel. He makes hard choices. He chooses some. So the sibling conflict deepens. Genesis 25, starting in verse 29. One day when Jacob had cooked some stew. Isn't that interesting? Jacob cooked stew. Esau came in from the open country. He was exhausted. And he said to Jacob, please let me gulp down some of that red stuff. That red stuff. I am so exhausted. I I love the Hebrew. The the Hebrew uses these plays on words about... uh, Esau and, and Edom and Adom. And one translator says the second red stuff is like a condiment. It could be zhug, uh, which is a, a pepper paste that is wonderful in Israel from, from Yemen and other places. I don't know what it was, but it's red stuff. And in, in this kind of hunter you know, hunter language, he says, give me the red stuff, I'm hungry, I'm exhausted, I'm famished. Give it to me, I need it. And Jacob answers, okay, but first, you've got to sell me all your rights as a firstborn. (laughs) And uh, Esau says, look, I'm about to die. One comedian recently said the Jewish people have like um, perfected apocalyptic extreme statements. <laughs> yeah, this is an example. Look, I'm about to die. And then he says, what use are my rights as the firstborn? You can have them. And Jacob says, well, swear to me. Doesn't this sound like brothers? And so he swears to him, and he sells his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gives him bread and lentil stew, and he eats and drinks. He gets up, he goes on his way. And the scripture takes it really seriously. In this way, Esau showed how little he valued his birthright. This was something that God knew about Esau. He had a weakness. He didn't consider important the things God considered important. He didn't love what God loved. He, his values were all messed up. And he allowed even his appetite and his love for stew to reveal this. Now, one thing we know for sure, this family loves stew. You got, they love stew, they love game, you know. Esau's famished. He only wants to eat Jacob's stew. But you have to remember one other thing that we learned earlier. God says the older will serve the younger. Will be a servant to the younger, will be a slave to the younger. This is a secret. When God's explaining to Rebecca what's going to happen, what is happening, and what it all means, he says, two nations are coming forward. It's not just regular twins. 
I'm doing something that's shaping the earth and history. I'm shaping the future this way. And now we see how it's unfolding. The older one sells his birthright, which he considers insignificant, you know, like he's not done anything. You know, it didn't mean anything. But God looks at it and says, it meant everything. You thought it wasn't even serious. But the comment is this. In this way, in this way, Esau showed he had little regard for being the firstborn. This is one of the reasons why the younger one was elevated. Because the older one didn't really care. And we see this principle at work, a hidden thing, a secret, something that couldn't be known or understood normally is shared by the Lord. And the secret is about something important, actually invaluable, but it's only considered invaluable by the people with faith in God. Esau doesn't recognize the value of being the older one. Jacob recognizes it, and so does Rebecca. That's why Jacob takes advantage. Now you could say, well, Jacob is just a manipulator. That's not the main point. You could say, well, he's just a conniver. That's not the main point. The main point is this. God called him to take the place of the firstborn. That's the main point. From God's perspective, this was already a settled matter. It was going to happen. I don't think everything is like that in our lives, but some things are like that. God says, this is going to be a certain way. I'm going to make sure, no matter who goes which way, they go left, I'll fix it by going right. They go right, I'll fix it the other way. You jump up, I'll go underneath you. Whatever you might do, I'm going to make something happen. Now, there are certain things that are like that. Not everything, but this was one of those. The younger is going to be in charge here. Jacob and Rebekah considered it settled. And you know what? Esau didn't even care. Now, let's go on. Genesis 27, verses 1 through 4. In the course of time after... Isaac had grown old and his eyes dim so that he couldn't see. He called Esau his older son. Pay attention, he's calling the older son. And he says to him, son, my son. And Esau answers, he nanny, here I am. And Isaac says, look, I'm old now. I don't know when I'm going to die. And that's why I'm going to ask you something. Please take your hunting gear, your quiver of arrows and your bow and go out in the country and get me some game. Hunt me something. And then verse 4, and make it tasty. Make it the way I like it. Isn't that an incredible thing for an old man to say to, to his adult son? Make it really tasty. Make it the way I like it. You know the way I like it. Make it that way. (coughs) So Isaac can't see, but he sure can eat. And he's got a taste for game. 
He wants some of that meat that Esau's hunted for and cooked. And then look what it says. Make it tasty the way I like it and bring it to me to eat. How many of you have a crotchety old person in your family who could make that kind of request? You make it the way I like it. Don't do it the other way. (laughs) Yeah, some of you are that crotchety person. (laughs) And then, look at the last statement. And then I will bless you before I die. And what he means is, then I'll give you the blessing of the firstborn before I die. And so neither Isaac or Esau is really taking seriously what God has already made known, that the blessing doesn't belong to Esau, it belongs to Jacob. Esau has forgotten, he sold it. He didn't consider it important then. He's not really thinking it's that important now until he doesn't have it. You'll have to read about that yourself. But after this, Rebekah tells Jacob, while Esau's out, act like you're Esau. You know, get dressed up. You know the story. If you don't, you should read it yourself. Read the rest of chapter 27. And together they get Isaac to think he's blessing Esau when he's really blessing Jacob. And for many years I thought of this simply as manipulation or deception because outwardly it is. But the earlier details, these are the secrets from the Lord. You see, it's important to remember this. What's going on? This is not about uh, uh, a manipulative Jewish mother. It's about a sovereign God who is working what he has already set in motion until it's fully accomplished. And the earlier details let us know the real motivation is not found in the personality of Rebecca. It's found in the personality of their God. Because God had decided and he settled something even before the boys were born. And I think that Rebecca's actions are understandable in light of God's sovereign choices and his decision to share the hidden things. He shared priceless secrets with Rebecca. And this is, this is how Romans chapter 9 Puts it starting in verse 11. You see, before the twins were born and had done anything good or bad in order that God's plan of election, his plan of the way he chooses would stand and endure, it wasn't by the works of the individuals, but it was by him who called them. Rebecca was told this, the older will serve the younger. Say it with me. The older will serve the younger. And so it is written, this is what Paul wrote, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. You see, God has sovereign rights to choose as he will, and his choice preceded their actions. And it wasn't by their actions, but it was by the one who called them. Now, this detail is in Torah, it's in the prophets, and it's in the apostles' writing, so that you and I would learn about priceless secrets and how important they are and to take them really seriously. And through this example and others, we'll learn about how God works in our lives. And in much the same way, I want you to, to compare this, God told hidden things to Joseph and Miriam. 
what outwardly looked like a crisis pregnancy was in fact a priceless secret. And if you were that young woman and you woke up one day and you were pregnant and you're trying to explain to your fiance what's going on, you're trying to explain to your friends and family what's going on, do you think they're going to believe you? And you say, no, we didn't, he didn't even touch me. Yeah, right. But it was through this crisis pregnancy that God was bringing forth the consolation of Israel, Yeshua the Messiah. And he told Miriam what was going on. Now this one who's priceless is not recognized by everybody. That's the way it is with God's priceless secrets. When God reveals these secret things, it doesn't mean everybody around you is going to agree and just say, well, that's the way it is. And so I would say, hold on to them. You can hold on to them yourself. You can hold on to the priceless secrets that God shows you. You can keep faithful. Be a man or a woman of faith and prayer. Keep them in your heart and keep them before the Lord. And don't forget that the world around you may show no regard and no respect for what you're holding dear because of what God has shown you. That's just the way it is. Don't look for everybody else, especially the unbelieving world, no matter how close they are to you. Don't look for them to ratify the secret things that God has shown you. When God takes you into his confidence and he shares his priceless secrets, you know, that's when you start becoming truly messianic, like Messiah. This is the last thing I want to share with you. It's what Isaiah said about Messiah. Isaiah 11, verses 2 and 3. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he won't judge by what his eyes see or make a decision by what he hears. He will not depend on only the outward things that anybody could notice. He will see into the heart of every situation and every person. When we start, when we start doing the same, you know what? It's a whole other dimension of being messianic. <clears throat> being like Messiah. I want to encourage you because you may have a problem that you can't solve. Anybody got any of this? I'm not the only one in this place. <clears throat> and I can tell you this. You still may not be able to solve it, but God knows how to give you secret information. Call to him. Humble yourself. Call to him. He'll answer you. <clears throat> He'll show you great unsearchable things you don't know, and then once you know them, walk in them. Be faithful. Be faithful to what God shows you. Don't use this as an excuse, let me say, in closing. Don't use this as an excuse, it's as a, um, what we used to call the trump card. 
you can't say that much anymore because it, I mean, Trump, used, Trump card used to be a good word, a good phrase, you know. What it meant is, you know, like you're playing cards with somebody and they played their best hand and then you throw out the Trump card, it's higher than theirs. And there are times when people can say, well, the Lord showed me. And that's like, that's like having five aces in your hand where you can't argue with it. But you can say, where did you get five aces? There are only four in the deck. <laughs> and when people use that kind of argument, it's not what I'm talking about here. This is something else. So I'm not trying to tell you that you can just hide behind what you want to do and say God's in it because it doesn't work like that. But there are times when you don't know what's going on and God does. He'll tell you secret things. And that will make all the difference in the world. So I want to pray for anybody who needs some secret information from the Lord. If you're in that condition, you can stand up if you'd like to, or just wave your hand, or lift your pinky, or raise an eyebrow, or just say to your, mutter to yourself, yeah, that's me. Lord, that's me. I'm not even muttering. Lord, I'm asking that your secret things would be revealed. And that you would open up to us, Lord, the hidden things. You'd say that those who lack wisdom should ask for wisdom and that you give it without any reproach. There's no shame, Lord, with you in needing wisdom. We need wisdom. But, Lord, we need more than that. We need your secret things, the things we don't even know how to discover and the things that even if we figured out on our own wouldn't make sense. But we need to know from you those secret things. And so I'm praying for everyone here right now who is in that place that you brought them to where the secret things of the Lord will actually bring something incredible to them. And we trust you, Lord, and we trust your word that says you will pluck our feet out of the net. You'll pluck our feet out of the snare. You will save us from the snares of men and the wily ones. And you will deliver us. Thank you, Lord, for your priceless secrets that you share with those who fear the Lord. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing. And if you are standing by yourself, I would encourage you to move a little bit. I always like how Michael comes up and stands with me. So I'm not by myself. Thank you. Thanks. The Lord bless you and keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom, y'all.